Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome, Star Guys and Star Girls, to another episode of Star Guys, the podcast about Star Girl on DC Universe and the CW. I am Alex. I am Justin. Great to be here. Uh, I'm very excited to have you here, and once again, I'm bummed not to have Pete here to talk about this, particularly because I want to get his take on the single most annoying thing Mikey has done in the entire first season of the show, which we'll get to in a moment. Ooh, I'm so curious what you think what you think that is. Yeah. Oh, really? It wasn't a me- All right. Well, we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about Stars and Stripe Part 1 here on the podcast. Not Part 2. That doesn't come out until next week. That's the season finale, but this is Part 1 of the two-part finale. Kicking things off as the Injustice Society of America finally enacts its plan to brainwash half of America... We find out a lot more about exactly what's going on this episode, and it might not be exactly what you think, but we do know that they are using Brainwave, a member of the ISA's powers, to brainwash America. Brainwave killed his own son, Henry Jr., absorbed his powers, so he is now more powerful than before. He is going to be hooked up into a machine by not a member of the ISA, but let's say an associate of the ISA. He's very careful about that. Uh, Named the Dragon King. He has been built this big machine that's going to amplify Brainwave's powers even more so he can brainwash half the United States. And this is all at the behest of Icicle, a.k.a. Jordan Maquette, who has been planning this ever since his wife died, ever since his wife was killed, and maybe even beyond that. As part of the plan, and the first part of the plan was killing the Justice Society of America, including Starman, uh, not his sidekick Stripesy, who was played by Luke Wilson, uh, but Starman himself. Stripesy vowed to find out what was going on, tracked the ISA back to Blue Valley, Nebraska, and that is where he met his future wife, Barbara. Barbara and uh, Pat got married. Pat has a son named Mikey. Uh, he, we mentioned him before. He is either annoying or the hero of the show, depending on who you talk to. And uh, then there's Courtney, who has taken on the mantle of Stargirl using a cosmic staff. She has led a new Young Justice Society of America uh, through uh, thick and thin. They include Rick Tyler, a.k.a. Our Man. Hothead. Uh, our, hot, he a is hot a hothead. Well, he's a hothead, and he's also a smart head because he's using that smart head to figure out his father's journal that has a secret code in it. It makes total sense to put him on the very difficult math work. Yeah. I'm very angry, and I know things. 
He's like, uh, he is basically, I've said this before, but he's Jesse Pinkman. Like, yeah. He almost talks like him. He's very much channeling his character, but I do like it. Uh, and then there's Yolanda Montez, a.k.a. Wildcat. She's pretty bummed out because she was uh, Henry's ex-girlfriend, uh, but still obviously had some feelings for him or some affection to him and watched him die, which is pretty terrible. There's also Beth Chapel, a.k.a. Dr. Midnight, who has some eyeglasses. And I say the letter I as an in information glasses because you can access the internet. Ooh, that's cool. a cool way of saying it. Thank that's you. That's a very cool way of saying it. The other member of the heroes that you probably know is Sir Justin, a.k.a. Shining Knight. He is a hero from Seven Soldiers of Victory, a team back in the day that Starman and Stripesy were a part of. Uh, he has lost his memory because of the Dragon King and Brainwave, uh, but has joined up and is trying to help everybody out by cleaning as much as humanly possible. There's also, as I mentioned, Barbara. A big thing about Barbara is she discovered what was going on. So the one remaining person on the side of good who doesn't know what's going on at this point is Mikey. He's pretty pissed off about it. Also, because are we sure, are we sure he's on the side of good? I hear you saying that and it doesn't mm. quite sit well with me. You uh, know what I is, mean? That is interesting. That's an interesting question. He's definitely on the side of snacks, right? That's uh, yes. uh, good snacks. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't go in for, he doesn't half snack it. He full snacks it. Exactly. A couple of other characters you should probably know about from the ISA. There's the Gambler. He's a cool hacker dude who looks like Colonel Sanders. There's... Makes sense. No questions. <laughs> yes. There's Tigress. And I Sport... love a hacker who's in his like mid-50s. Yeah, a- absolutely. Like uh, he's, I don't know. I was going to make a joke about TikTok, but I'm also almost in my 50s, so I can't make that joke. Uh, wow. the... <laughs> then there's Tigress and Sportsmaster. They're married and very angry. And there's also Fiddler, who is the principal of the school, she has a magic fiddle. Um, and there's <laughs> the last one, which we don't really need to talk about this episode, but just so you know that he's out there. There's Grundy, the massive monster who killed Howerman's parents. Uh, and also there's Shiv, who is Dragon King's daughter, who's locked up a couple of episodes back. Uh, she hates Courtney with a burning, fiery passion. That all said, there's probably more things you need to know, but the big thing you need to know going into the episode, which they kick out with, is the time schedule. They got less than 12 hours to go before the ISA enacts their plan, 11 hours and 35 minutes. In fact, always love a good ticking clock. Always glad to see that. Exactly. And when you land on the ticking clock, you're like, ah, stress. Mm -hmm, Instant mm -hmm. stress. Now, the interesting thing I think about this episode is uh, you, a couple of episodes back, talked about how every episode has something with a little bit of visual flair. And off of that discussion, we talked about how a lot of the Arrow shows, Arrowverse shows, will fall into this pattern of... uh, Exposition, 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 small fight that's very brief, where the hero loses, exposition, 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 and then big fight where the hero wins. And Stargirl doesn't necessarily fall in that. In fact, what it does here is it completely flips, and I think in the best way, the arc of the episode in terms of the action, because we start off with a lot of the big action sequences here, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, well, we get a big recap of the plan to sort of kick off the episode. And then, yeah, it, there's a lot of good surprises in this uh, episode, which I think is a testament to how the series has really separated itself from a lot of specifically the Arrowverse shows. 
Yes, which I should mention again, I like. I enjoy the Arrowverse shows, but I yeah. do think Stargirl is very much punching above its weight at this point. Um, to use a sports term, I definitely understand. You so, are the sports uh, master. You're the metaphorical sports master. Thank you very much. Like the gambler is a cool hacker, I'm the sports master. So uh, the couple of things we get is we find out that Sportsmaster and Tigress have been tasked with going after the Whitmores and killing them. Uh, Brainwave seems pretty conflicted about everything, particularly because, as they note, there is a cost to the process. I think at this point, given well, you mean everything... Icicle's conflicted. Yes, I. Oh, Icicle is conflicted. Sorry, Brainwave is straight up. He's ready to go. Yeah, he's like great. I hope a lot of people die. That seems yeah. good. Can we up the cost a little bit? Could I pay double, please? Yeah. He nasty. Yeah, he nasty. Uh, but Icicle is very conflicted. Um, he also seems to be Brainwave. Seems to be looking forward to the fact that the rest of the country is probably going to fight them. Once they take over half the country, um, but he's still sticking with. Let me know when Stargirl and her family are dead. He's still sticking with that. He's moving forward with that, uh, and that's where we get into a flurry of activity. Courtney and Barbara packing their bags. There's a really nice moment here where Courtney says, "I'll go get my staff." Okay, and defers to her mom. And I love the delivery on that line. Yeah. It was cool. It was there. They do a good job in this episode and in the show in general of still giving time for all the emotional issues that they've been building up to across the season. And that was a nice moment where I was like, "This is still cool." I know this is new to you, but I do have the staff thing, and I'm going to use it to fight some crime here. Um, so if you could be cool with it, it would be make it a lot easier. Well, and also later from a structural perspective, it gives an excuse of why Courtney is not there in the room for the first part of the fight and also how she gets her cosmic staff. It's not like she's sneaky way that way. So it has an emotional bent, but it also has a logistical bent at the same time for the structure of the script, which is good writing. Now, I, I have a couple questions. Um, now, you just moved. Mm -hmm. recently yes did you feel this like very this flurry of packing in a previous episode you really identify you identified with how quickly they were going to have to pack their clothes are you still feeling that ptsd when you watch this scene um a little bit honestly but as soon as i realized they were just going to a cabin for the weekend you know they're going like on a chilled vacation i felt a little differently about it it's not like they were trying to pack the entire house into a duffel bag in an hour which is fucked up uh this was going on vacation it's fine. It's, it's not good. a vacation when you're running for your life. <laughs> I mean, you could treat it like have a little fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Like get in some pool time, read a book, mm -hmm. and then also flee from the impending supervillain death coming your way. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, and as it turns out, Mikey thinks maybe they're going up to, uh, since it's November at this point, they're going to go up to like hunt a turkey or something. I couldn't quite understand his line here. Uh, I couldn't either, but, uh, but I do think it is all roads for Mikey lead back to some sort of meal or snack. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it would make sense. He'd be like, ah, yes, time for me and my gang to go get a turkey. Uh, drag it back home and like candy it or whatever he wants to do with it. <laughs> uh, so Pat and Mike here are the pit stop. Uh, he thinks they're going camping, uh, but he's not sure. And this is the thing that I was talking to earlier that I could not believe the scene. I thought I kind of loved the scene in terms of how far it went and how it was paced out. But Mikey start picks up this electric drill. Yes. And just starts using it. He loves the drill. Every single time Pat starts talking, he's just constantly. And 
that is, in my opinion, the most annoying thing Mikey has done the entire season. I, I agree with you. It pays off well in a moment, but oh, I got to think, this is maybe Pete, our third host, who isn't here because he is moving. Big moving season on the podcast. Um, but he, Pete is the kind of person that would hate Mikey's behavior here. Um, and I got to think this Pete's going to finally turn the corner and realize, as I did in the beginning, that Mikey sucks. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take, go out on a limb here, and hopefully we'll be able to find out in our bonus episode what Pete thinks about this. I think Pete's gonna love it. He loves Mikey so much. He'll be like, "You pick up a drill, you got to use that drill," you know. Yeah. And the way that Pat dealt with it was also amazing. Actually, a bigger question in my mind because Pat finally loses it and yells at Mikey. Whose side is he going to take there? Is he going to take Pat's side because he's yelling at him or Mikey's side because he likes Mikey? That's a tough one for Pete. Tough. A real crossroads for our intrepid third host. Uh, my favorite part of this scene, the part I liked, was when Mikey's like, I'm not a little kid anymore, Pat. I'm your father now, and you're <laughs> the kid. Which, as I've said, is my theory where the season ends. Mikey becomes the father. I wrote in my notes here, uh, Pat yells at him, and then he says, stop treating me like a little kid because I'm not. And then I put a little arrow that said, because he's 56 years old. Yep, exactly. He (laughs) may be going for grandfather. Yeah, it's a hint there. It's a hint that he's actually an old man. And the cigar, he's always just off camera that he picks up and smokes. Yeah, he walks off and he's like, come here, toots. He's like the baby in old Hollywood. He's like the baby in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Baby Herman? Is that what it is? I have, don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bit of a weird sound after Mikey leaves. Turns out Crusher is there. Now, do you think, is Pat playing dumb and he really doesn't realize that he does know that he's Sportmaster or he actually is dumb and doesn't know he's Sportsmaster? It's, it's a dangerous game to start asking if Pat is playing dumb or being a straight-up goof. Because I, I don't think it's hard to parse. And that's the sort of the nuance of the uh, Wilson performance here. Um, I think he is confused at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does not know that his trainer is actually the sportsmaster. I agree. Uh, but then he reveals everything. He reveals that he knows about Stripe. They have a great fight. All of this yeah. stuff is going on. It cuts back and forth. Between Sportsmaster versus Pat, Tigress going for Barbara, and a couple of moments there that I thought were just very cool. Um, Courtney comes up in the middle of the Tigress-Barbara fight, throws her staff under Barbara, catches her, and is basically swinging her around as she's fighting Tigress. Just great. So so well choreographed there. Really cool. And another thing about this... I feel like a lot of sh- you know, a lot of these shows they're on a budget, so it's hard to do these like very slick special effects. And so the tendency I think with a lot of shows is to sort of speed through them or make them make the the set really dark, uh, which makes it harder to see the action. And I give this show credit because it doesn't speed through them; it really slows them down so you see it happening, even though it doesn't look as slick as like a, a feature film would. But I do think it makes it feel much more comic booky and authentic mm-hmm. to what the, the characters are dealing with and the origin of the characters. And I, I really thought it was an interesting way of shooting it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's also it's not on the side of goofy necessarily. But, yeah, you can see some of the wire work. You can see how things are going. But you could also see them actually fighting when they're fighting, uh, yeah. which is great. And I know that they use 
stent performers pretty frequently on the show, and that's fine. But uh, it's the way that it's cut. It feels propulsive. You feel the danger there. It feels fun to watch at the same time. Uh, And it also serves the purpose of like... Pat finally standing up and seeing him in a fight. We've just sort of seen him on the sidelines the entire time. Uh, And on the other hand, Barbara getting to see Courtney be a total badass and actually impressed by it and realize like, oh, shit, you actually can protect yourself. You are Stargirl. This is amazing. Uh, yeah, I agree. Like it was a, it was. I love that the whole family got involved here. I love Crusher was still trolling Pat as he was fighting him about like his exercise routine and all that. Um, and I do think it's interesting that they really um, established that Sportsmaster must is somehow filled with candy or uh, <laughs> chocolate blood or something. Because there's no reason Mikey would have gotten involved unless there was some sort of sugar payoff from drilling. That uh, is. I could not believe that moment. Like, I love the fact that the drill came back. Again, so smart with the script there. But Mikey drilled Crusher, (laughs) (laughs) which is so hardcore. In the middle of the fight where it's like, we're going to take Barbara and throw her around on the staff. And isn't this fun? Mikey's like, I'm going to fucking drill you with with an electric drill. Again, clearly showing his uh, mafia ties from the Blue Valley um, underground, criminal underground. Yeah, he's there's a part of Marky that thinks maybe he's on Oz, but he's not 100 percent sure. Yeah, exactly. That's I think Mikey's making multiple shows at the same Mm -hmm. time. Oh, Sopranos would have been a better reference. He's on Sopranos. There you go. Yeah, Uh, he's the ultimate uh, inheritor of the Soprano name. Yes. So they take care of Tigress and Sportsmaster, at least for now. Uh, The other point here is that Mike sees Stripe. So he understands. Finally, he's in the loop. He gets what's going on here. Uh, And then we cut over to Jordan. We've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but Jordan's parents say, oh, don't worry about it. Barbara would not have been a suitable wife anyway. Yeah. Jordan, the other stuff that happens in the scene is Jordan doesn't want to tell his son Cameron, which establishes that his son does not know about this. Maybe he has powers, maybe not, but he's definitely not in the loop. And then Jordan calls the fiddler to take care of it since Sportsmaster and Tigress didn't. But what is going on with the parents? Because we haven't gotten clarification about that. I I don't know. What I think it's going to be is they're gonna it's gonna force Icicle to make a choice between his parents want him to do the fucked up thing. And he is seems hesitant. He's like changing out of his supervillain ways a little bit, maybe. And I think he's going to have to sort of turn on his own personal Darth Vader, his two like frail parents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that seems fair. Uh, on the flip side of things, we finally get to see all of the heroes together, which is a lot of fun. Everybody goes on this fun vacation to a cabin together. Well, I do want one real quick oh, yeah. thing. This the, the fiddler scene. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, which was that. like that's you see Icicle calling fiddler, um, and it's her talking to her son, and he's like, they're they're calling me a tuba turd. What am I supposed to do? And she's like. Kill him, basically. <laughs> like, he put his violin bow into his friggin' ear, and I was like, what is this scene? Yeah, it feels like they needed one more episode in this season, you know? Like, yeah. this is something we've gotten really good setups of the relationships between each of the members of the ISA and their kids in every episode. Even we saw The Wizard with Joey Zarek. We've seen tons of stuff with Brainwave and Henry, a little bit with Cameron and Icicle. Uh, Sportsmaster and Tigress got that fun stuff with uh, Artemis. Uh, 
but here this feels like very quickly establishing that the fiddler is the same, her relationship to her husband, um, her relationship to uh, her son, what's going on there. That's, that feels like it should have been its own episode, you know? Yeah, and to do it in this scene made it stick out even more that it was just, like, just there, you know? Well, and also to the level of, uh, just to jump ahead, that she walks in on Sportsmaster Tigers is like, you guys fucked up, I'm taking over from here. And they're like, great, dead. And she's dead at that point. Yeah. Maybe she'll come back or something, but I don't think or- so. Me neither. And what is the Isaac, the kid we met in that really quick scene? Is he going to just grab the fiddle and be like, I get this now? Uh, like, yeah. I don't know. No, he's 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 a tuba turd. Yeah. So maybe he's going to have a magic tuba that makes people stand still. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, that was the one like sour note, I guess. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, but then we get the, everybody together in the cabin. The rest of the young JSA is there. A truck pulls up. They're very concerned. But it turns out Shining Night, he has a feast fit for kings and queens. It's KFC. Yeah. Great. The- Again, sponsorship up the wazoo. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you what, we uh, ordered some KFC for my family for our family dinner night, uh, because now in our new place, we live relatively near to a KFC. Not that great. Ooh. Wow, so the, the money they paid to have KFC and Stargirl just got totally countermanded <laughs> by the Zalbin, <laughs> that Zalbin bump removed from KFC. Yeah, more like a feast fit for a pauper. I mean, it's a, it's a good deal, is what I'm saying. You can get a lot of right. chicken for a little bit of money. Nice. Would you get the bowl where they put everything in a bowl and you have Famous to eat the bowl? bowl? <laughs> yeah, you have to eat the bowl at the end. Otherwise, they come to your house. Yes, that one. Got the old slop, slop stack? Yeah, I should be clear. I didn't eat the chicken. I just ate the bucket on the outside. Ah, well, that does collect a lot of the fun grease and salt. Mm-hmm. So then Stripe arrives, which is very cool. Uh, Pat has a remote control from a flip phone, of course. Great stuff. Great stuff. How hard must it have been to get the software to remote control his huge car-based robot into his little flip phone? Do you think he had to racer? Do you think he had to delete Snake before he could install that? Yeah, that phone's not going to be able to his uh, like eight-bit photo family photos. (laughs) He had to get rid of no Tetris on that thing. Oh, man, poor guy. Uh, great reaction from Barbara here when the robot arrives. Just I was looking at Amy Smart's face. It was very funny. I'm so happy that she is in the action now because we. I, I think I said the exact same thing last episode, but she was so underutilized in the first part of the season. And now we're getting to see why they brought her on Bard. And it's just she's fun. She's fun to watch. Yes, it's a good the whole the whole gang here together was great to see. Also, excellent lighting at this cabin. So many distinct light sources. Really good, good hunting cabin there. Just what hiding. Is, out what in. is going on? <laughs> what's going on? You've been producing stuff lately, so you're much more focused on the lighting. Is that what's happening? No, not. I just think it's funny that they're like, we have to run. Let's go to this remote cabin that has a mass. It's a mansion. Right, and then we're going to have a very visible robot fly directly here. Yeah. When they get caught there, I'm like, yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, So we go back to Dragon King's pad. Brainwave approaches. We get a little scene between Shiv and Brainwave, which was an interesting pairing, uh, where they basically taunt each other. Uh, Shiv 
he blames her for Henry's death. So once again, he's blaming everybody else except for himself. Uh, She baits him, uh, and then he lays out, he says, Dragon King, her father, Caesar is a failed experiment. She says her father loves her, and he says the ISA doesn't want you. How is this going to pay off with Shiv at this point? Uh, I think she's going to, we're going to get a Grundy release. Uh, I think we're going to get a Shiv release, and she's just going to be very pent up and angry. And I think Courtney's going to wreck her. I like this scene, though, like you're saying, uh, having Brainwave blame Shiv, I think, was was cool. And it's nice to have her get a little bit of not closure there, I guess the opposite of closure. But same way we get a little bit with Yolanda reacting to Henry's death, which we didn't really get yet. Seeing Shiv react to Henry's death through his father makes a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Then... It's finally time to see what's going on. It's time for a test. So they walk over to Cerebro, which they've set up. Yep. Very Uh, Cerebro vibes. To be clear, movie Cerebro, not comic book Cerebro. But it's legitimately like it works a little differently because there's lightning coming out of stuff. But it's straight up that, which I thought was the same room. They could have done it in the same room. Yeah. They probably got it cheap, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Used Cerebro, only lightly <laughs> dangerous to whoever puts their head in. Moving or, sale. Mu- everything must go. Yeah. Not going to be making any X-Men movies for a while. Cerebro available. <laughs> uh, so there's a fun little bit where Dragon King says, basically, either it's going to work completely or it's going to melt you. And Bravely, it's like, I like those odds. I thought it was great. That whole thing was like, this show does a good job also of just approaching the line of parody, self-parody. And they do a good job here of just hitting it. Yep. Uh, So it does, in fact, work. The power dial breaks, brainwave screams, there's blue lightning. Uh, We get a sense that it's going to work. Uh, What's nice about this also is that it sets up... We get, once again, similar to the fight at the beginning of the episode, we get that climax of seeing him use the machine early in the episode because we're not going to get it later, later, which we'll get to in a moment. But I think that's another nice little structural thing about the script. And kudos to a a group of villains who want to run a solid rehearsal. Like, mm-hmm. they get it. They've come up through the, the community theater system where oftentimes you get to opening night and you haven't had enough rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have appreciated if at some point Brainwave said, thank you, Five. But other than that, yeah, you know. That's true. Who is stage managing this, uh, <laughs> this scheme? Uh, Dragon King, I think, is the stage manager. But I'm not 100% yeah. sure. Let's take it from the top. Brainwave coming a little earlier. Yeah, how's the lighting in this scene? I want to know about the lighting. That's what we're very concerned about this episode. More lights at the camp. We need more <laughs> tiny light sources. Uh, so then we go back to our heroes, get a couple of things with them. Uh, Beth is checking in with her Charles McKnighter glasses, finds out there's been a massive increase in electrical energy in Blue Valley. Um, they, uh, they get caught up on the fact that Henry's powers probably went to Henry Sr. Uh, and Yolanda, this is what we mentioned earlier, says she's not thinking about Henry. We get a little bit of lie detected from total narc Charles McKnighter. I know that's fucked up. Those glasses got to have an off switch. Put some boundaries up. Mm -hmm. Beth's out of control. Uh, And then we get a ridiculous scene with Justin, which I still... Justin, not you. Justin, the janitor. It was ridiculous with me, too. Yes. Uh, I really want to know what the payoff is going to be for his character at this point. Because 
similar to last episode when I thought, okay, he's he wants his horse. He's going to get his horse, get his memory back, and that's going to be the climax of the episode. That wasn't. This scene, he comes in. Rick is like, oh, I can't figure out my journal. If only there was some key to my journal that I could figure out. And Justin's like, let me look at it. I have an idea. I'm going to go clean the bathroom. Let me look at it. Up. Oh. I'm a cuckoo janitor. I don't, I don't know what to do here. You want but some jan- more? But jan- janitor's gonna janitor. You want some more famous bulls? I've got more famous bulls downstairs. Famous bulls. That's uh, let's not say that anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's definitely going to be payoff with him in the next episode, so I'm not too worried. But it feels like they keep teasing what the point of him is, and then completely yeah. backing away. I feel like at the end he's like he's going to be in a climactic charge into battle and he's going to pull a mop out instead of a sword or something. Yeah, and like just start cleaning the in the background. Yeah, you're getting the floor all muddy. Uh, also, like they I, they could throw. I think I said this earlier, but they could throw Doctor Midnight at this whole equation thing. Like turn well, those they glasses. Did. They did. They they established that the Midnighter glasses looked at it and could not figure it out for whatever reason, which seems. Very ridiculous now, given it's a four-number combination that uh, solves the equation, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, But Mikey and Courtney have a little talk. He's annoyed. She has a magic staff. Uh, He jokes about it making his paper route easier, ask if you try it, and it doesn't work for him. This is a really kind of sad scene. They don't really play it that way, but and it eventually ends up that Mikey's like, maybe I could build something like Stripe, like my dad which is very sweet and cool. But the fact that the staff rejects him straight up, huge bubber. Would you, if it turned on, that would be wildly confusing. Yes, it would. But uh, because we don't have explanation of why it only turns on for Courtney. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll get, again, we'll get that down the road in like season five or something like that. But I don't know. It sort of felt like the thing that she could have been like, you know what? You want me to take you for a ride or something like that as a consolation prize? Versus like, well, it doesn't work for you. I'm going to stand here. See you later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that could be. Now, do you think this is setting up? Because the way they're sort of showing how close he is to having powers or having a superhero role here, but not involved. Do you think he's going to be the one who pulls the uh, the pen, the pink pen? Maybe they've mentioned Jakeem a time, yes. uh, one time, and we think showed him another time without mentioning him by name, who traditionally in the comics uses the Thunderbolt, which is in the, the genie of the pink pen. Um, but yeah, I think so. I don't know. Are they going to use it this season? We have one episode left. I could see that happening, but that would be it, wild. It is weird that they established, I mean, they also established the Green Lantern and feels like we're not going to see that. So, yeah, I don't know. You would expect to see a full complement of the JSA at the end of the season, but maybe they they're not going that way. And I don't mind that. I mean, I'll throw out another theory at you based on the end of the episode. And this is very much jumping ahead. Given that Pat is compromised, maybe Mikey will end up flying Stripe. Wow. That would be flying it to a local diner to order like bunch of bacon or something. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to break into a supermarket and just grab all of the Pop-Tarts and fly away. Well, that's what I liked about this scene where he's like, maybe I could build a robot or bake a cake or something or like <laughs> pop the to Pop-Tarts. You guys yeah, have a Pop-Tart I could, uh, toaster? Take some Twizzlers and kind of like twist them up, give it Skittle eyes. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, maybe I, could, 
Maybe I could just eat too much candy and be sick and, and barf on somebody. I don't know. Anyway, back to my cabin. <laughs> uh, so back to the bad guys. Sportsmaster is going to kill Mikey. He's tending to Tigress's wounds. We get the scene of uh, killing Fiddler, which is wild. There is a very pointed moment where the fiddle is left behind in their yes. house, which yeah. seems like somebody is going to pick it up. Maybe Tuba Turd, not 100% clear. Uh, yeah, I mean, they do talk. They've talked about legacy a lot. When they did the episode recap from last episode at the beginning, they really landed on the line like, you go kill Mikey, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Um, so it does feel like legacy, it needs to come up somehow here. Maybe Mikey turns out to be a violin prodigy, you know? That'd be crazy. That would Who would have thought? Me and this <laughs> cat gut strings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit the street. Make some real money. Join a band. See you later, Mom and Dad. First uh, chair of the Metropolitan <laughs> House. Uh, so Barbara and Pat talk. We get another, I think, very nice conversation here. I thought uh, this was great. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Just uh, basically, he she wants to know why he never told her about any of this stuff, and he explains it as everyone ended up dead. And family is all that mattered to him. If I knew the truth about Flu Valley, things would be a whole lot different. Which is a weird line because I feel like wasn't he in Blue Valley investigating the ISA? Yes, I mean, that's what we think, and maybe he's like. Yeah, did he give it up? It's a little unclear what the timeline is. Um, so I think, is he still being a little disingenuous here? I don't think so, because I don't think that's Pat, necessarily. It feels like one of those things that maybe they tried to brush past a little bit. And like, oh, yeah, you don't remember the previous stuff that he's done. Um, but I do think the core of the discussion here is good where they're not quite right yet, but they want to work to make things better. Yeah. And that's what I give them a lot of credit for with this scene is it could have been like a fight or it could have been just both of them sort of operating badly, but they're both sort of being earnest and like being nice about it, like sensitive about it and sort of hesitant, but in general wanting to sort of work it out. Yeah. Um, so then we get uh, the scene where Rick figures out what's going on with the journal. Pat he hates I'd, books. Yeah, he, hates he smashes books. his books a little bit. <laughs> uh, he can't figure it out. It's not his birthday. It's not his dad's birthday. It's not a third birthday. It's no birthdays. Uh, but so let, let me just let's just break this down. Yeah, so Rick, who's been trying to crack this for days now, uh, even in the timeline of the show, many months days. maybe. And he's like, hey, I tried three birthdays. No, no luck. <laughs> what uh, do you think? Crazy. And Pat's like, I don't know. Have you tried his car? And he's like, what car? Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe the car that you were working on incessantly. Yeah. The one that had a very close connection to your dad. And it's fucked up for him to realize, oh, he didn't use my birthday, but he used his car's birthday. Right. <laughs> Well, they love the car, man. Uh, it turns out it's the 1966 Mustang. That is something I'm sure Pete could have figured out. Uh, and he figures it out, and it turns out the formula is exactly what we need. It is coordinates for this map of the tunnels below Blue Valley. Uh, Dr. Midnight makes the map in hologram, hologram, and they figure out exactly what to do. They figure out, first of all, what the machine is. They figure out what the tunnels are, and they figure out their plan of attack. I think it's crazy that uh, this huge formula, secret, big thing, was a map to the building. Like, they've already been in this building. 
Yeah. And the, it, the building's not that big, I don't think. Well, the building is not that big. And also, I think Pat had a book with the maps of the tunnels a couple of episodes back. Yeah. I was very surprised that that was the big reveal of the formula. I think the bigger thing, I feel like they overplayed the map a little bit. The bigger thing is the machine. It actually has the plans of the machine that they're going to use. So they do figure out it's a synaptic amplifier. The drones that Dragon King had were a test run uh, to figure out if they could brainwash people. Uh, And Barbara uh, proves why she was, again, structurally in terms of the season, supposed to be in Project New America, she figures out, oh, okay, they want to make everybody like Blue Valley. That is their plan. Yeah. So so they figure that out, which is good. Uh, and then they decide to kind of break off into different groups. Uh, Rick says there's a tunnel that Stripe could come with them in. Everybody else will go through another tunnel. Barbara is going to be with Beth. Beth and Mike is like, uh, what do I get to do? And they're like, you have the most important job of all. You're going to look after the dog. And this is another weird... I bit of dialogue because he's like, no, I don't want to do that. Actually, I'm excited for this. Let's do it. See you later. Yeah, he's like, I could really make something of this. Just like, <laughs> I'm like, what? What is this? <laughs> Mikey in this episode is very odd. Very curious to see what Pete's going to say. Um, but I did think I, the way they break the teams up, I thought, was uh, interesting. With yeah. the the Barb and Beth sort of on the on the running through in there's not a lot of uh, offensive strength in the Barb and Beth team. No, there's not. But they're looking into information, right? So it makes sense because they're ultimately going up against the gambler. As we talked about, Crack Hacker. They sneak into American Dream. Our man, uh, Justin and Wildcat, enter through the tunnels. Uh, and then we find out that Barbara's password is NKOTB. Mm-hmm. Chuck very briefly explains who they are, uh, which is fun. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. Uh, Barbara instantly then, embarrassed. She's embarrassed about NKOTB. Yes, she is embarrassed about NKOTB, but they move on anyway. And then very pointedly for what is about to happen, Beth finds the countdown and there are 35 minutes remaining. Perfect. Comic book fans know exactly what's coming at this point, but we'll get to that in a moment. We'll loop back. Uh, but she finds the manifesto. And this, this I thought, was great. Like, this is yes. a great twist here. Yes. They find their manifesto. It's the new Constitution. And their goals are to combat global warming, uh, embrace solar and wind power, remove discrimination, and have universal health care. The universal health care one was a real ding. You could see... You could see it on the screen, and you see Beth read it, and she it, it was very fun, played very smartly. Yes, uh, and they also find out that the process will take thirty minutes, um, and after that, it's permanent. They also find out, and this is another, I think, fantastic plot point. They find that it only affects fully developed minds, which means adults, which means the kids. It's going to be entirely up to them, which I thought was just such like classically smart 80s movie action twist. Fantastic. Uh, But then they find out the big cost. If people fight too hard, the brains will shut down and die. So it's going to be 25% of 100 million people. So I throw out... Quick math. If you could have all of the things that they are promising, global warming, brace solar wind power, remove discrimination, have universal health care, but it would cost 25 million people or so what do you think about that, Justin? Well, I guess you're asking which side am I on in this great battle coming next episode. Right. And the ISA, of course, is socialism. 
Well, oh, here we go. Well, <laughs> the, I did think it was interesting the way the map changed because initially the brainwave was only going to be able to do like four states around Blue Valley or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the map that they showed at the beginning of the episode was basically all of the center of America leaving the coasts. And I thought there was like maybe some subtle political gesture there. Did you pick up on that? Well, I was wondering about that a little bit because I, my reading of it is that it's a little surface, right? That yeah. they're coming up with these things because these do all sound like great things. But it's going to cost 25 million lives. And of course, you could never let that happen. That's just not something that could happen. But to your point, there is a possibility there that you could push something a little harder. And I know it was just joking about it, but there is a little bit of weirdness to the fact that it is a socialist platform that is the bad guy's platform. Yes. Uh, I fully agree. Yeah. Um, And to have... To have it be those the states like it felt like it was drawing some strong trying to be like oh you think it's going to be this but it's not this and they're the real villains like I don't know it it definitely felt a little like it was just short of trying to say something surprising in a show like this. right well I I don't think it's saying that thing is the point it's like not, I do, yeah uh, maybe they talked about it in the writers room but I think ultimately they were like eh, let's make a really good villain plan and then execute on it that'll be fun versus certainly some people could look at this and be like, that's right. A socialist government would kill 25 million people. Yeah. Which is crazy and wrong, just to be clear on this podcast. But uh, I I don't think the show is thinking that deep about it or digging that deep about it. But you're absolutely right that there is something to be said about like socialism trying to brainwash middle America is a weird message to have in the show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But in the action, in the, the, for the characters in this moment, like I love the like hesitation of like, Oh wait, what are we on the wrong side (laughs) in a way that like young people are like, Oh shit. I like that stuff. Like that felt very true to the characters in that moment. Really cool. Yeah, uh, it's great. And then you get Gambler coming in. He says, give or take a few million. Yeah, Beth doesn't know what to do. Uh, And then we get what I was hinting at earlier, straight from Watchmen, the I did it 35 minutes ago, where he says, you think you have 30 minutes to stop us? It's 30 minutes until Brainwave is finished. That the countdown is to the end of it. When it actually happens, they started... Like the countdown said 35 minutes ago. So they're already going through it. And I like this. Like, we've talked a lot on a bunch of our other podcasts about reusing Watchmen stuff and how it feels derivative in a certain way. I think this worked here. I agree. Um, It was good. And it makes sense that the villains would want the countdown to be when they won and not when (laughs) they just started the hard work of their plan. (laughs) Right. And that sort of answers why they have a countdown at all, which is something we made fun of last episode. So good stuff all around. Uh, At this point, all the adults get taken down. Barbara gets frozen. Justin gets frozen. There's weird sparks in their eyes. Brainwave has control over all of them, he says, like puppets, like Pat Dugan. 
at which point Stripe is under his control, and we end it with the cliffhanger of Stars versus Stripe, which, again, I know I've been lauding a lot of stuff about the script. I think it's just such a smart place to end the episode before the last episode of the season. So good. Now, I think there is a, a factor here that I, I hope we'll find the answer to. Do you think Mikey is frozen? Oh, that's a good question. That would be uh, great. <laughs> I would laugh so hard. If he was uh, a fully developed brain in this yeah. child's body as a 56-year-old man, I think he should be frozen. Yeah. Or alternately, if he holds the key, he's like, listen, i got to confess something. I'm a 56-year-old man, but all these Pop-Tarts that protected my brain. Got to yes, eat them oh, real exactly. quick, kids. Stuff yeah, some Pop-Tarts is- in my dad's face. He is a, a strawberry jam coating around his brain um, mm-hmm. that is, uh, I, you know, what is it even in Pop-Tarts? Now it's like chocolate. <laughs> what right? are you talking about? I don't eat Pop-Tarts. <laughs> oh, okay. There's lots of different flavors. Do you eat Pop-Tarts? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, not really often because they're basically How? cookies. They're breakfast cookies. That's why I don't eat them because I feel like it's, I'm being fooled. Yeah, but they're pretty good. The brown sugar cinnamon are pretty good. I had the pretzel ones the other day. Not great. Pretzel Pop-Tarts. Yeah, it's a pretzel outside with a chocolate inside. And the pretzel is just like, it's a little soggy. You know, like it's not crisp. That seems insane to me. Well, Who wants that? A pretzel for breakfast? I mean, I ate it. I don't eat, see, I don't <laughs> eat breakfast, really. I don't eat like uh, sweet yeah. breakfast. So I just, uh, I've cut all that out of my, uh, I don't go to down that aisle. Yeah, I I never really get them unless I see a weird Pop-Tart or something like that. Mm. That's pretty much it. I think you could also get, like, the Strawberry Frosted is a classic. That's pretty good. The yeah, Cookies and a... Cream one, again, that's just a cookie. You're just eating an Oreo that's flattened. Wow. Another controversial take from Alex Salbin. <laughs> F- fuck KFC and Pop-Tarts are breakfast cookies. <laughs> Don't at me. (laughs) Hey, man, that's what people tune into this podcast for is these controversial opinions like uh, Pop-Tarts a cookie and socialism is bad. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the Joe Rogan of the breakfast world. Oh, God. Take that back, please. Let's (laughs) end this episode as we always do talking about who the star of the episode is. Justin, who's the star of this episode? Uh, another tough one. The, these later episodes, I think, have been able to give so many people uh, a chance to shine. Um, and Courtney, despite the fact that she is the titular character, isn't really featured much in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's kind of taking a step back and letting other people. I mean, I'll jump in and say my start of the episode was Pat because this felt like this is this was Pat's episode. This is the one where he steps up, he's taking control, he's mentoring everybody, he's trying to fix relationships where they need to be fixed. Uh, But his one-on-one fight with Crusher was great. Uh, Him calling Stripe, even though it seems logically to be kind of a dumb move, it was super fun. Just good Pat episode across the board. Yeah, and I gotta say, the character I had the most fun watching this episode was Sportsmaster. Was Crusher. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he came in and he was like an asshole about fighting Pat. He's like the anti Pat. And he got, he was able to come in and be a dick and make fun of Pat throughout their entire fight um, before he got drilled in the back by a 56 year old child. (laughs) 
All right, good stuff. If you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out, ask questions about Stargirl. We would love to talk to you, particularly as we head into the season finale here. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Uh, at Star Guys Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. Until next time, this is the Star Guys signing off. <laughs> <laughs>